Hi, everyone. You're listening to episode 23 of the Finish Line podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. We have a great episode for you today where we get the chance to hear from Richard Baxter, a dentist in Pelham, Alabama. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. My name is Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. I'm very excited to share this episode with you today. We're talking with Richard Baxter, who started Shelby Pediatric Dentistry and the Alabama Tongue Tie Center, and also wrote the best-selling book, Tongue Tied. Richard and his family have really leaned into a life of generosity, which is evident in the way he runs his dental practice, and certainly throughout today's discussion. I can't wait for you to hear all about Richard's passion for reaching unengaged, unreached people groups and the ways that he is able to support organizations that aim to do just that. Before we get started, just a reminder that everything we do here with the Finish Line team is 100% free and always will be. If you're enjoying the podcast and want to help us get the message out, the best thing you can do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. Now let's get to the show. All right. And here we are with Richard Baxter. Richard, thanks so much for joining us on the show today. No, thanks so much for having me, Keelan, Cody. Appreciate it. So why don't you start off by just giving us a little background of your story and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Uh, So I grew up in Dallas, Texas. Grew up attending church uh, every week. We walked to church, actually. It was more like 10 tips to be a better person. I knew the Bible stories. Uh, Once I got older, didn't really hear the gospel a whole lot. But uh, once I got to college, that's where my faith really grew a lot. Uh, I joined a Christian fraternity called Brothers Under Christ, or Beta Upsilon Chi, that was at uh, Vanderbilt, where I went to school, and really grew much deeper in my faith and really heard the gospel and heard it preached. Also attending a Midtown Fellowship there in Nashville, I really heard the gospel clearly and internalized it, and the Lord, you know, saved me. So met my wife in college at Vanderbilt. Her name's Tara. She is a nurse practitioner. So she did the nurse practitioner school at Vanderbilt. She finished around the same time. So we moved to Birmingham. So three cities, Dallas to Nashville, down to Birmingham. And we uh, went to dental school here. And we got married in August. And the next week, we went to the church at Brook Hills, which we are currently at now. But first time there, we I'd never been there before. It's pretty big compared to our church in Nashville, which like met in a warehouse, made to set out chairs every every week, kind of thing. So we're like, oh, I don't know if we can do this. Like it's not the same as what we were used to or thought of as you know church. And uh, it was David Platt was the preacher there, and it was actually the first Sunday of the Radical series. So that would become the book Radical. Of course, none of us knew that at the time. And the joke is that we actually uh, came back a second week because it was a pretty tough word there, just convicting. When we left, it was like, oh my gosh, like we've never heard anything like this before. This is this is intense. This is crazy. But it was good. It was it was just the Bible. And Jesus is pretty radical compared to you know today's culture if you look at it. And that's kind of what this podcast is about. So anyway, so we uh, were attending there, joined a small group there, and really grew like exponentially in our faith there. My wife and I, uh, I'd never heard of unreached people groups before. I'd never really even heard of the Great Commission as like something we need to obey. Uh, I got, I've heard of it before, but never internalized it for my life. It's kind of like missions. It's a compartmentalized thing. It's not for, for everyone. So anyway, I finished dental school and looking at what kind of residency to pursue. So looked at pediatric dentistry, oral surgery, orthodontics, or just general dentistry, and really landed on pediatric dentistry after a mission trip my junior year of dental school. Went to Costa Rica, we were taking teeth out, and one of the dentists on the trip, Norm, he was a pediatric dentist, and so many of the kids had just bombed out teeth. It was like, oh my gosh, like this really huge unmet need there for children, especially. Uh, the adults obviously had bombed out teeth too, but these kids, they required extra special care, TLC, and trying to help them through a difficult procedure like an extraction. So uh, I realized that could be really useful on the mission field. And, you know, after sitting under David Platt's preaching uh, at Brook Hills and taking classes with him, and then Jonathan Bean, who was our global missions pastor at the time, and just, you know, it was really formative in those years, like in education. So I got my dental education, but also got probably this foundation of missions and how to how to live your life. 
for God's glory here, wherever you are, and uh, in all the nations. So I was looking at maybe even like moving abroad. I wasn't sure exactly what to do. I knew I wanted to be involved in missions somehow, but uh, looked at doing pediatric dentistry. So we ended up uh, going up to Columbus, Ohio, partly because there was a large Somali population up there. So lots of Somali refugees, I think about 50,000. I think it's the second largest outside of Minneapolis, maybe. And uh, so we worked with some like people trying to church plant among Somalis there, and then also uh, found a great Bible-believing church up there at Veritas in, in Columbus, and did my residency at Nationwide Children's Hospital and Ohio State University, and finished up there. And we ended up coming back down to Birmingham to start a practice. And so we were moving back to, you know, like Birmingham suburbs, and it's just so easy to get lost in the thought, like live in the American dream, so to speak. And it's kind of like being in the world, but not of the world kind of thing as, as much as you can. So when trying to figure out a theme for our dental office, a lot of people do like a jungle theme or maybe like um, other types of animals, like aquarium and like fish theme. But when really praying about thinking about it, we thought, you know what, like, let's make the office like a global missions theme. So each room is a different continent. And so that's where I'm coming to you live from today. Uh, we're at the office. And so all different continents. There's no Antarctica, though, but we have all the other continents. And then we added on the Tongue Tai Center. And uh, that comes a little bit later in the story. But those are the oceans. So Atlantic, Pacific, Indian, Arctic Ocean. Uh, those are different rooms. But I think most of the patients realize why we have the continents on the walls and stuff. Um, our girls at Brook Hills in their Sunday school class had a small, it's probably like three by five carpet and it had the Great Commission on it and had like a world with kids standing on it and go make disciples of all nations written on it. So I saw that. I was like, that's perfect for the office because our logo is basically kids in the shape of a world. And our tagline is dentistry with a mission. So I thought this would be perfect for the office. So I got online, ordered it, did not check the dimensions at all. And a few days later, maybe a week later, I walked up to the lobby and I was like, what's that? And it was like something stacked all the way up, like past, like higher than the door. And the door is like nine, 10 feet tall. So that's the rug you ordered. So no, it's not. I ordered just a small rug for the kids play area. I'm like, no, this is what came in. It's like, all right, Lord, this is uh, what it's going to be. So like our whole lobby, it's like, it's like a 14 by 15 foot, foot massive rug in the lobby uh, with the Great Commission on it. So if they miss like all the other references, it's hard to miss that one. So anyway, but yeah, Dentistry with Mission, that tagline kind of came up when we first opened a, a little newspaper article, just the local paper wrote an article about us. And that was the headline of the article and it stuck, Dentistry with Mission. So we try to do lots of mission trips, obviously with COVID, that's been different. My goal originally, naively, like before kids, was like, oh, man, we can probably go on two or three a year, you know? <laughs> Once you have kids, uh, it definitely throws a wrench in it, and that's much harder to do. So I haven't quite reached that yet, but I went on several. So in, in dental school, went to Costa Rica, sharing the gospel, taking teeth out as, as much as we could, you know? But then at the end, there was a line of people that still were not helped. And so what we realized was, like, you know, it's it's great to go out and help and there's a book called When Helping Hurts by Steve Corbett and Brian Ficker, I think. And it talks about how like you go intending to help, but then sometimes, even with the best of intentions, it could end up hurting the ministry you go to help. So people are mad when you left because they walked for miles or hours or days and did not get seen. So all the mission trips we go on now, uh, it's with called Empower Approach, uh, empowerapproach.org. It's a really interesting story. Started out with uh, Steve Saint and probably back up a little bit, Jim Elliott. Most people are familiar with Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, and the Wow Donnie, or used to be called Aka story in the 1950s. They went down, met this uncontacted tribe in Ecuador, and they were speared to death. There's a book and a movie called End of the Spear about how Steve Saint went back and lived with the people who had speared his father. And then the guy who killed his father actually became like his like adopted father. It's the craziest mission story of the 20th century there. But Anywho, basically what happened was they brought a dentist down to help these tribesmen living in the middle of the Amazon rainforest, and they realized that they could do dentistry. Like, they, the dentist took a break, and he came back, and someone had filled a tooth. He's like, who did this? Like, this is strange. I, this tooth was not filled when I left, and now it's filled. And so they, they trained them down there. They went to India and trained them, and then they realized they can train national believers, pastors, church planters, to extract teeth in about a week. And they actually take out more teeth than the average dental student does. So it's a pretty cool concept. And all as a door opener to share the gospel. So that's the whole purpose behind it is really to share the gospel. And so they go into countries uh, like we went to Myanmar and we trained pastors there, about 10, 11 pastors to extract teeth. 
I still get Facebook updates from some of them. They are still taking out teeth to the glory of God. And it's really cool. They say, like, you know, if they open their mouth to you, they'll often open their heart to you. So it's it's really cool uh, just to see that connection there. But it's, it's like what Jesus did, preach and heal. You meet a felt need, then they can meet a spiritual need. They're more open to you. They don't, you know, care how much you know until they know how much you care kind of thing. So uh, I did that in Myanmar. I went to Ghana and did the same thing there. Because again, remember, I was thinking like, man, I, I need to be a missionary and like move to Ghana, for example, and be a, a dentist there and take out teeth. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's the, kind of the old style of missions. Basically move somewhere and live your whole life like uh, Ernie Sturry. There's a book called Miracle at Tenwick Hospital. It's a really cool story. But he moved there and was like, missionary, you know, Dr. Faithful, they're serving for like 50 years, something crazy like that. And this one hospital at Tenwick Hospital in a remote part of Kenya. And by the way, outside that hospital has a sign that says, we treat Jesus heals. Love that. But anyway, so I thought, yeah, I should do that. Like move to middle of Africa and do that. But then once we realize we can train these guys, they know the language, they know the culture, they don't get burned out. They're already there. They, they're not going to get kicked out by the government, so to speak. Um, this is their home. And so it's really cool. So in northern Ghana, there's one dentist and three million people. I mean, that's like one or two dentists for the whole state of Alabama. You know, it's it's unbelievable, the need there. So we went and trained, again, 10, 11 guys up there to extract teeth. A lot of them are still doing it now, even five years later. So really cool ministry, empower approach. And then I thought, you know, I can kind of multiply um, our dental skills and uh, share the gospel while we're there. I don't sweat as much because I'm teaching. I'm not actually taking out teeth. I try not to take out any teeth. We try to let them do it because, again, we're going to be gone. Uh, we leave them with the instruments. Their church basically has the instruments. They charge a nominal fee. You know, these people live on less than a dollar a day. And so most of the time, for I think for an extraction, costs about a month's salary. It's about $30 to get it pulled by the government dentist versus, you know, these guys charge a couple dollars just to pay for anesthetic, gauze, that kind of stuff, to renew their supplies, gloves, and make a little bit of money for themselves to provide for their family, but also give back to the church and support their church. So it's a really cool, like, holistic model. So anyway, dentistry with the mission back at home in Pelham, Alabama here, and really looked at different ways we could give financially as well. So remember back to our time at Brook Hills, Pastor David talked about examples like John Wesley, who basically set a finish line, or he not basically, he did, he set a finish line. Can't remember the exact numbers. Back in, you know, back in the day, it was like $25 was like his salary, right? So like $20,000, let's say, when he first started out. And he said, I'm going to set a cap. And whatever I make over this, no matter what it is, I'm going to give the rest away. I'm going to live on a little bit and give it away. So your listeners have to look up the story to get the exact numbers. But basically, the next year, he made 25000 He lived on twenty, gave away five. By the end of his you know ministry, I think he was making the equivalent of like $100,000 in today's dollars and living on like 20 and giving away 80. I mean, it's just a really cool story. You know, might be one of the earliest stories of a finish line that's recorded. But anyway, it's really cool. So I remember hearing that and hearing about kind of wartime living from John Piper. I read Crazy Love, as I know you did as well, Keelan. So between Radical, John Piper's Don't Waste Your Life, and Crazy Love by Francis Chan, just like, you know, hits you again like a ton of bricks in a good way, but really was formative to us when we didn't have any money, <laughs> which then helped us when we are now paying more in taxes than I ever thought I would make. So it's it's uh, it's crazy, like the medical profession and, and in general, like, you know, how much wealth there is in America, for how much people are compensated as dentists or whatever, which that's a different story. But like just being faithful with that, you don't have to increase your standard of living, you can increase your standard of giving. I think, I'm not sure, if you, maybe Randy Alcorn said that, I think. Uh, there's so many of these good books, like Money, Possessions, Eternity book, read that one too. So yeah, books are really helpful. <laughs> so if you're not a reader, read or listen to it on audiobooks, on Audible if you're a, a podcaster. But anyway, so one of our first things we really gave to, it's funny, you guys had him on, on the air a few uh, weeks ago, but Matt Laterno from Never Thirst, we were looking at getting a fish tank at our office. And so a good dentist's office should should have like a Finding Nemo tank, right? With Dory and Nemo and all that stuff. So I went and like asked one of the saltwater aquarium people. I was like, "How much would it cost to like basically a Finding Nemo tank?" Right? And they said, uh, "Probably around three thousand dollars." I'm like, well, "For that much, we could do a well in India." So instead, we did a well in India and did not get a fish tank. 
And a few years later, we're like, you know what? It would be fun to have a fish. I kind of had aquariums like in uh, dental school. So we just got a freshwater tank, which was much, much cheaper, a few hundred dollars instead of a few thousand dollars. And the kids don't seem to notice any different. They still love it. And it's much easier for me to take care of too. Because sometimes a fish tank's like a hundred dollars a month for them to come maintain it for you for a saltwater. So Anyway, that's a gift that keeps on giving, I guess. <laughs> no offense if you keep saltwater fish out there. So yeah, it's a cool story. I wrote a blog post about it. I think it was uh, Saltwater or Living Water was the title of the blog post. It's probably still out there in the in the interwebs. But anyway, that was our first project we did with Neverthirst. And then since then, we've done projects in every country that they, they offer. Really just love that ministry, love the reporting they do. It's, it's incredible. A few years ago, went to, it's called Issachar Initiative, Basically, they've had them in different cities. You probably heard of it before. Basically, it's like combining missions people and business people to kind of complete the Great Commission. And so I went to that here in Birmingham. I can't remember which year that was exactly, but and I think around that time I met David Johnson, who you guys also have in the podcast from Do Lost Partners. They're here locally in Birmingham. Uh, Never Thirst is also in Birmingham. And then also met a guy named Mike Jackson. That's his real name, Michael Jackson. Uh, he goes by Mike, and uh, he runs Reach the Rest. And so uh, I met him at a thing, but basically at this Issachar initiative, what they had was the the goal for each one is basically to try to fund the rest of gospel engagement for unengaged, unreached people groups, UUPGs. So these are people, less than 2% of the population is Christians is, is unreached people groups. Unengaged means no one's even trying to reach them. So there was, I think, 63 or so un engaged, unreached people groups in West Africa, uh, among the various countries in West Africa. They did one, I think, in Louisville a year or two before that, which was focused on Nepal. But anyway, that was the goal. And so we went and uh, they had said, hey, if you want to learn more about it, come to this thing tonight. So I went to the thing and just heard about it and met the need, felt the need and felt the Lord telling us, like, we need to sponsor some of those groups. So we ended up sponsoring several of those groups. It was a, a pretty large commitment, too. I was like, it was a step of faith for sure. It's like, I'm not sure we're going to come up with like all this money to, to give away like that, but just felt the Lord tell me to you know, be generous in this. And like, this is where uh, his heart is, is for the nations. I mean, it's all over scripture. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. May all the peoples praise you and don't separate the reason for the blessing. I think maybe Matt or someone else talked about this during the Never Thirst podcast, but don't separate the reason for God's blessing for the purpose for the blessing. So may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us so that your saving power may be known among all nations. Uh, Psalm 67 says, I think verse 1 and 2. But anyway, so just hearing that call for the nations up to the Great Commission, up to Acts 1-8, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Okay, so we made that big commitment. And then started working with Reach the Rest some more, and uh, ended up, they asked me to be on their board. So I currently serve on the board of Reach the Rest. I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later, but Basically, what they do is focus specifically on unengaged, unreached people groups, which there's like several thousand, but that number is getting down. Sorry, it's several thousand unreached people groups. The number of unengaged, unreached people groups is actually getting down to like, there is an end in sight. You know, I think someone on the ROI ministry, he talked about that, like there there is an ability to finish the Great Commission, as far as we understand it, at least for every tribe, nation, people, language. So yeah, now we're in Birmingham and... Yeah, trying to be faithful with giving, with going, with praying as much as we can. And at the same time, you know, raising a family. So we have twin girls. Obviously, uh, it's a huge part of our life. Our twin girls that are seven, uh, Hannah and Noel. And then Molly, just she's two. She turned two in February, and the girls just turned seven last week. And so best way to sum it up, my wife has a t-shirt that says, Raising Tiny Disciples. <laughs> it's a good way to look at it. That's what we're doing, whether we're wiping bums or noses or, you know, taking the garbage out or cleaning, you know, especially reading the Bible with them. We teach their first grade uh, Sunday school class. Just had that this morning. So we love it. It's it's wonderful. We look through this. Operation World has a, a book called Window on the World, which is really cool. It talks about different people groups and different you know, cultures around the world and from a gospel perspective and has like points to pray for, like says, thank God for these things, you know, ask God for these things. So like this morning we were reading about India and reading about there's, you know, 300 million gods or 30 million or 300 million, can't remember exactly, in India that people worship there and talking about that with them so, just so they don't miss the picture, you know, that it's kind of world Christian, so to speak. Because it's, again, it's easy to do in, in the suburbs in America to get lost in activities or sports or just doing better at school or something like that. So 
yeah, that's kind of what we're doing. And uh, there's a whole nothing about tongue ties. We'll talk about that in a second, though. <laughs> well, Richard, thank you for sharing some background. There's so many things I want to ask at this point. What Keelan and I found as we started to really integrate generosity into part of our lifestyle is it started to really guide the way that we made decisions. And I'm curious, in the way that you've integrated the Great Commission into your practice, how has that influenced the way that you make decisions as a practice? Yeah, and that's a great question. So, I mean, from the first interaction with the patient to the last, like following up, like with billing or sending statements, so like that, we try to let it permeate everything as much as possible. So every day, we start the day with a morning huddle, which is pretty common for dental offices. We take 10, 15 minutes. So we talk about a couple, you know, business items maybe. But then every day we do the Pray the Word podcast that David Platt has. So he's no longer the pastor of church in Brook Hills. He's actually up at McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia. And what he does, is he has a daily podcast. Basically, it's just he reads the Bible verse, talks about it, and then prays towards that end. And I think he's had like 1,400 episodes now, which is funny. He was sharing like, I never thought like how, how much it is to do like every single day, like a podcast. I mean, we were talking before the show about like, you know, like even biweekly, it's a lot of work to put on this podcast. So thank you, Keelan and Cody for providing this. Cause again, I've listened to most of the episodes. I love it. It's, it's excellent information that definitely needs to get out there to more people. But anyway, the pray the word podcast, it's five to seven minutes and Bible verse talks about it and prays about it. And it's been so helpful. A lot of our staff are Christians. Some might be more nominal Christians, so in name only. Some are not really, they don't go to church, wouldn't really identify as Christians, but they're still respectful and, and listen to it. And uh, it's it's very gospel-saturated and very, you know, nation-saturated podcast. Couldn't recommend it highly enough to start anyone's day if you like podcasts, which you probably do if you're listening to this. So yeah, five to seven minutes, uh, pray the word podcast. So we start with that, and then we pray for an unreached people group with the Joshua Project app every day. And it's, it follows along with the podcast. Sometimes David will mention it for the day. Sometimes he won't. But I think it was, let's see, on Friday, it was Bedouin people, maybe. Anyway, so like it every, kind of goes through a different people group every day. So yeah, it's uh, fantastic. So we start with that, and then pray for our day after that. So just... Lord, let us be your hands and feet, establish the work of our hands, let us run on time, <laughs> simple stuff like that. And so we try to treat every child, every family that walks in with the love of Jesus as much as possible, even especially when it's difficult, as you know, like we're working on kids while they're awake. Keelan, you have the opportunity to work on kids while they're asleep, which is a little bit envious of that. But yeah, we work on the kids while they're awake, trying to do surgical procedures, which no one else in medicine attempts, really. <laughs> they're asleep for almost every other medical procedure. But for some reason, dentistry, we try to work on it while they're awake. So yeah, basically we get through our day and then, uh, you know, loving on the kids, on the, on the parents, uh, we allow parents back in the office. There's Bible verses on the walls. We play Christian music, that kind of stuff. Profits. We give a lot of the profits towards missions for the dental side and also the tongue tie center before I do a general anesthesia case. So I do go to the hospital sometimes. So before general anesthesia cases, I always pray with the patients. At least ask them if it's okay to pray. Very rarely get turned down to pray, but I'll pray with the patients before those. And then before we do tongue tie procedures uh, on little babies and, and older kids and even adults, uh, we'll ask to pray with them before we do those procedures as well. So I'm not praying like before a filling. There's nothing wrong with that. Maybe I should, but yeah, normally just before like those more like sensitive or delicate procedures. And then like on the back end, again, trying to be as again gospel centered and like we, we've never sent anyone to collections. We don't like, it's not wrong if you do. I think you just definitely should be a good steward across the board. Uh, we send out statements and bills, all that stuff, but we don't like send people to like be hounded by collections people. We, you know, write off a lot of stuff. If, if people can't pay, we're very understanding about that. We're probably about half Medicaid. And so, you know, we see the people that can't afford to pay and that, that you know, on government assistance, basically. So yeah, as much as we can, we try to let that saturate our, our day here. Yeah, I love to hear how just completely saturated your whole office is with the gospel and with everything that you're doing all the way from the rug in the lobby. I'm curious if you've ever met any kind of resistance either from your patients or their families or from staff or anything along that lines, you know, for other people kind of looking to how they can integrate these kind of things into their own business or practice. 
I'd anticipate in, in some cases getting some resistance here and there. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of it is location-based, meaning if I was in Philadelphia, you know, where you are Kewitt, or like if I was in Boston, for example, it'd be much harder to do this. Like Birmingham is like the buckle of the Bible Belt. And so even though most people, maybe half go to church or, or less, I don't know the exact statistics, but a lot of people are not Christians that come see us. We have lots of different, it's, people think it's like very homogeneous down here. It's fairly diverse. Probably 20% of our patients uh, are Latino. We have a good number of Asian, a good number of even like people from Mid- Middle Eastern countries that come here that are Muslim. And so no one ever complains about the music. You know, no one, uh, we've had a couple people, I can count on one hand that asked me not to pray with them. Like if after I offered, like we'd rather not, like, okay. Like, and it's not super awkward. Like it's a little bit awkward at first, but like sometimes I think, okay, like maybe I shouldn't ask to pray with them. Cause like in my mind, I'm thinking, they may not want to pray based on whatever like I can see in front of me with my eyes, right? Nine times out of 10, even that, I'm thinking they won't want to. They're like, oh yeah, thank you so much for offering. Most people won't turn down prayer. You know, I, at first I was more like self-conscious of it almost, but yeah, believe it or not, like most people are very excited that we pray with them and even people that might be like all tattooed up or something or with purple and green hair, like you think like maybe they like wouldn't go to church, so to speak. But they're like, oh, thank you so much for for praying. So like, we we never know what's what God is doing in their hearts. So definitely that. And then like the as far as the podcast goes, praying it's only discrimination if you're like singling out, I guess, and treating people differently. So you can definitely like pray with your team members. Word of prayer, like a morning huddle. Uh, the podcast we pray, we play that podcast every morning. Never gotten anything back from that. We also before people come and join our team, we'll have them like come for a day just to see what it's about. So they know like when they get there, okay, like they're playing, you know. Christian music on the radio and they're listening to this podcast in the morning. So if they didn't want that, they would probably like, mm, maybe I'd, I wouldn't want this job here or something. So that kind of helps too. Could you go into a little more detail about the development of the Tongue Tie Center and how that has led you since then? Yeah, it's a crazy story. It's definitely like a God thing. <laughs> Even like this office, like, right, we were looking for a, like a small, like strip ball, like, you know, like, startup uh, practice because we started it right out of residency with zero patients so it was a big leap of faith and we're, uh, my mo- mother-in-law was driving by uh, this you know very busy road there's 50,000 cars pass by every day and so found a small little out parcel piece of land in front of a mobile home community and like next door to an elementary school that no one wanted and so we really lowballed them for this piece of land i mean down the street like a, an acre was like 10 times as much right so low bottom and they took it they accepted it so yeah praise the lord and so we built from the ground up and just planned on doing regular good old-fashioned pediatric dentistry drilling and filling and crowns and extractions that kind of thing taking care of kids teeth and as much as we can having a gospel witness while we do that when our girls were born so it was finishing up residency had just a few weeks left they were born and they had trouble breastfeeding trouble latching on we thought, well, there's two of them. Like it's, you know, they're a little bit early, a couple weeks early, but not really that bad. And the lactation consultant said they have tongue ties. And me, being a dentist and almost a pediatric dentist, a couple weeks left in residency, said, no, they don't. Thinking like, I would know, right? Like I'm a dentist, I, ENT. Like, like you know, you think you know what a tongue tie is. What I thought was what they taught me in school, which. Uh, we had one lecture, sorry, one slide of one lecture in dental school. We had one article in residency on tongue ties. And the article was from 10 years ago. Basically, if it's to the tip, if it's a tongue tie, may possibly cause some issues with speech, might interfere with breastfeeding. That's it. That's all we know. That's all most dentists know. And so there's likely people listening that have a tongue tie themselves. Like one of you might have it. It turns out it's probably about one in four people have it that's actually causing problems for and you didn't realize it before. So basically our our girls were having trouble nursing and but i was open minded enough to to listen to her and we saw our pediatrician who was an excellent pediatrician we loved her you know definitely missed her you know moved down to birmingham shortly after we were in columbus ohio at the time she clipped it and it didn't make a difference we thought well that wasn't the problem then our lactation consultant was very generous and nice and said like oh, you may want to see this dentist who fixes a lot of ones that been clipped before so we went to this dentist in ohio dr notestein and he helped us with our baby. There's probably people listening that have been helped. He's helped thousands and thousands of babies with this issue. He used the laser, released it, and it helped much more. And so if the procedure's not done right, just as you know, Keelan, if like you don't do someone's sinus surgery right, or you take out one tonsil instead of two, or one ear tube instead of two, like it's not going to work. you got to do the procedure right for it to work. So 
basically came down here to Birmingham and all of a sudden there's huge unmet need for it. Like all these people are coming to us, like asking us to fix their kids' tongue tie. It was taking over our dental practice. So in 2018, I thought, you know what, we got to, we adding on to the office, made it the tongue tie center, Alabama tongue tie center. And so, uh, yeah, we help thousands of kids with oral restrictions. So that means their lip tie, which is their lip is tied down or tongue tie issue. Babies have trouble with nursing and often they, it's, it's sad. It's just kind of like band-aids for them often. So they have reflux, they're gassy, they're spitting up, they're colicky, they can't latch on. So the solution to that is, and this is just like a systemic issue. It's not like your pediatrician's a bad person or by any means, just like this is what they're taught. If they're gassy, here's some gas drops. They're spitting up, you know, try some different formula that hurts when they nurse, try a nipple shield. They're colicky, here's some gripe water. They're, uh, they have reflux, here's some, you know, acid suppression medication like Prevacid or used to do Zantac. Can't anymore because it may or may not cause cancer. So, uh, but anyway, all these things, instead of like, what's the root cause here? What's the likely cause? It's likely their tongue is restricted, even a little bit. It doesn't have to be to the tip. It could be 50% of the way to the tip. We see a ton of babies, probably our bread and butter. Most babies come see us, probably two-thirds of them. It's like 20, 25%, just barely there. But for that individual baby with all the symptoms, it's causing too many. Uh, it's causing uh, all those issues because it's too tight. It's too restrictive. They can't move the back of their tongue. And then with kids that get older, it doesn't go away, just changes. So speech issues, R's, L's, S's, SH sounds, TH sounds, Eating issues, so slow eating, real picky eating, trouble with meat, mashed potatoes, choking, spitting out food, gagging, that kind of stuff. And then sleep issues, snoring, grinding teeth, restless sleep, which, again, often these things get blamed on like, oh, Johnny's just a picky eater. Oh, he just eats slow. He takes his time. Uh, like baby's just a lazy nurser. But many of those things can be explained by, you know, a, a tongue tie. So ended up had lots of parents asking us about how have we never heard of this condition before? Like, wouldn't my pediatrician or speech therapist, lactation consultant know? I said, that's a really good question. So ended up writing a book on it uh, and had a team of specialists contribute to it. So that was a labor of love. It's about a year long project and it's been a bestseller on Amazon. Apparently it's still a bestseller on Amazon France. It's been translated into French, translated into Spanish. We have Polish coming. Danish is most of the way there. And then we're starting Chinese. So it's really cool. I uh, just, this message is spreading. And then all the proceeds from that book go towards missions. Um, I got that idea from David Platt uh, with the book Radical. All of the money from Radical goes towards, you know, missions to the unreached, basically, where um, the gospel is not yet. So that's what we do with the royalties from this book. They asked me to do a, a live course in our office. So every month we have four dentists come down. We train them how to do this procedure. Uh, we've had dentists from all over the country, even other countries, come see us here in Alabama, a uh, little old Alabama, to yeah teach them how to do the procedure. And so all that money also goes in the same account towards missions. And then an online course that we filmed during COVID. So that was a year-long project to write the script for that. And we filmed it for about a week or so and got that launched during COVID last year. And all the money, we've had hundreds of people take that course and all that money, praise the Lord. Again, this is all like a God thing because I, I would have never picked tongue ties. Like I was planning to just do dentistry and had no intention of this whatsoever. All that money is also going that same account towards missions. Yeah, to places we've never heard before. So yeah, it's a cool story. Yeah, it's incredible to hear how God took that one idea or kind of passion that he led you into and just kind of exploded it in a bunch of different directions. And for the way that how you have managed that and, and giving all of these proceeds away, he has really compounded the impact that you're able to have. One of the questions I have is, as that has grown, and it sounds like as it has grown pretty quickly, how has it gotten a little bit more complicated maybe, or at least the weight increased for how you actually give that money away and what you give it towards and how has that kind of shaped over that growth? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as a uh, puff daddy says, mo money, mo problems. <laughs> uh, it's pretty true. So basically, yeah, you just have to see like where to give and like strategically giving. So again, having like the unreached mindset, unreached unengaged people groups mindset that 99% of Christian giving goes to where, the gospel is already known. And so I think someone else came on the podcast, talked about that. Less than 1% goes to the unreached, like the 1040 window, the hard to reach places. And they're hard to reach for a reason. They don't want the gospel. They're an anti-gospel. They persecute or kill people that try to bring the gospel to them. But 
uh, still were commanded in the Bible to take the gospel to them. So we try to give most of our money towards that. So whether it's Reach the Rest or Urgent, which is David Platt's new kind of initiative with Radical, give to Radical Monthly. Do Lost Partners, you guys had on here, give to them monthly. Never Thirst, we give to them monthly or every couple of months uh, for projects, basically. Because they're just kind of like Wells uh, versus Do Loss is like supporting church planters. So they like the, the monthly better. I'm sure Neverthers would take money monthly too, but uh, so just trying to find places uh, to strategically give it to where we know it makes a big impact. So ROI Ministry, I'd actually looked them up before this podcast, and that's how I found Do Loss Partners in our own backyard. So uh, yeah, like I said, lots of friends who've been on this podcast, I guess. Um, I, I didn't know the ROI story though, so that was cool to hear from the podcast, but uh, just make sure that we're being good stewards with the money we're giving. Because we work hard to to make that money, earn the money, and we don't want to, you know, waste it, meaning like as much as we can on like admin costs or like, you you look up on Charity Navigator, some charities like 35% goes towards actually like the program and they keep like 65%, you know. So just like always look at where you're giving and make sure that it's uh, above board, that kind of stuff. Yes. And then I looked at looking at a donor advised fund. You guys had the signatory on here. We don't have one of those yet, but it's definitely an interesting concept. Instead of selling your stock, uh, you can donate your stock that's appreciated, and then you don't have that big of a tax hit, uh, and then you can give that all away instead of paying capital gains taxes and then giving from that. So, yeah, I think it's complicated a little bit, but we try to be faithful with a little, and then have more, faithful with more. Uh, Do we do that perfectly? No. It's kind of like Paul in the Bible, right? probably one of the most holy people to have ever lived. And then he's like, what a wretched man I am, you know, because he sees like the depth of his sin. And it's like, I, I think we, we try to be as generous as possible, but the more generous you are, the more you realize you have more to go kind of thing. I'm like, oh man, like we could, you know, give that away too. And so it's, it's hard to, and that's, that's why I love the finish line because it really puts some good handles on, on that. Like, okay, set a cap. And if that needs to be modified or whatever, then modify it based on where you live or circumstances or how many kids you have. But it's just even going through the exercise of how much do we really need to live on? And then, you know, I'm sure not everyone listening to this is a dentist or doctor or a lawyer or whatever, but just using whatever God's given you currently to try to give away the excess and uh, be faithful in that. And we've been so blessed by that and, and more money is coming in. Definitely not a prosperity theology, like pretty much the opposite of that. But he, he does makes you a conduit of, of his grace as, as he sees fit. And for like the tongue tied Academy thing, like it's pretty high price tag. It's 25 hours of video. You know, it, it was a lot to produce that. It took a lot of time to write the script to that. So we charge appropriate for it, but give a hundred percent away for, for God's glory. And it's, yeah, been a lot of money that would be nice to buy a Tesla Model S Plaid and go zero to 60 in less than two seconds. Of course, that would be fun, you know, but I don't feel that's, that's right. Not saying if you listen to this podcast, you know, that's, everyone has to make their own mind up. Um, but I, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that would be nice that I certainly could buy that I choose not to as much as, yeah, we can, if that makes sense. <laughs> so that brings me to another question, just as kind of hearing you talk through things. Obviously, not everybody that's listening has their own business or practice that is a big source of of why they're able to be generous. But for those that do own their own business, I'm kind of curious for how you structure things in terms of doing your giving directly from the business or doing it personally and just using that as a salary, a kind of the ideal structure of that, what's most efficient or you know, what in your experience has been the best way to kind of manage that? Yeah, yeah. So our our CPA seems to find it easiest to keep track of if we give it out of the business. We still give personally as well. So like when we support like friends that are missionaries, like we'll do other giving, like just out of our normal checking. But our easiest way for us to keep track of is with the bill pay in our banking thing, which I used to not like. Like my father-in-law, Tom, he's a huge part of the story too. It's been behind the scenes this whole time. But Tom helped us get the office started, meaning while I was in Ohio, Someone had to be here checking on it. He came like every day checking on the progress of it. He has some business background himself. Um, he was like a manager at a service center, like a GM dealership in Pittsburgh. And he worked for uh, automotive youth education for GM and then now works for ASC. Like if you see ASC certified on like a mechanics shop or something, he, he's a vice president of ASC. So he's behind the scenes at the office helping get everything set up. So 
I thought bill pay is just like something that like all people use, right? But it's so helpful because at the end of the year, you can see, so we have all the charities that we give to all the ministries in there. And then we can give out of that. You can set up recurring, uh, which we do a lot of it recurring gifts uh, monthly so they can plan and stuff. It's easier. And then we do, you know, gifts for um, like if there's a going to sponsor a run, my wife and I are big runners. So we'll sponsor a, a run for Lifeline, which is here locally or like Mountain Child. We, we didn't sponsor the run this year, but I just I just saw that today. But we, we give monthly to Mountain Child to support some work they're doing in the Himalayas. You know, it's basically that's the easiest way to keep track of it. And then probably 10% of the giving is out of just our personal. So using the business, mainly it's just so that at the end of the year, the accountant can calculate it easier, how much taxes you're going to owe. Because if I come up and say, hey, we had X amount of dollars, just hundreds of thousands of dollars in giving, and they didn't know about it, it's going to throw off their tax calculations for how much we're going to owe. So that's that's the easiest way to do it. We found, I hear with the donor advised fund, that kind of basically you give to that and then you can give out of that. So then you know whatever goes in there it's it's kind of accounted for in one place where I have to collect like 15 different tax receipts in January of the organizations that where we gave in the previous year, which is a little bit of a, you know, but I actually have a, like a Google Docs, like a spreadsheet of where we gave, how much we gave recurring, how much we gave like one-time gifts and then adding it up. So I keep track of that because I want to be intentional about it and giving, you know, half or, or whatever percentage we want to give of, of business proceeds away. So... So Richard, you mentioned earlier, Reach the Rest, and I know you're on the board for that organization. And that's been a recurring theme I've noticed with a lot of our guests who do not work for a nonprofit themselves are often involved in a formal capacity like being on the board. And I'm curious if you could share a little bit about what that experience has been like and what goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. So, I mean, we meet as a board quarterly. We meet annually in person. So, it's been uh, probably four, three or four years I've been on the board. And basically, you get to see that behind the scenes work. So it's kind of nice as far, like from a donor's perspective, because I know like where the money's going. I know like the financial accountability that's in place. I know whatever issues come up and how they're handled. And it's really helpful with that. So then I'm giving to them, I know like, okay, these, this money is going to this project. And I might get some cool reports. Otherwise, that, like people may not they may not be able to share because of sensitivity issues because all the work is in like, you can't share this on Facebook places. So I'll be sensitive to that on the podcast. I won't share any of those stories, but uh, like one, one country in particular in South Asia, there was like 5,000 baptisms in one day. So it was crazy. Like it with, I think it was representing like 120 different UUPGs, like unengaged unengaged people groups. It's like, praise the Lord, like with this church planting network. I mean, the gospel is just on fire in some of these countries uh, and, and places where they're getting Bibles into creatively that, you would not be able to bring a Bible in if uh, if you tried. And so anyway, just cool stories like that and getting able to support that work is, is one of the perks of, I guess, being on the board. There's about five or six of us on the board, and I'm the youngest one by probably 20, 30 years. <laughs> but it's it's good. It's a good thing. And so, yeah, just having that wisdom, talking to those guys, hearing their giving stories, like just like this podcast, just being mutually encouraged. It's it's really helpful. But yeah, no, I love Reach the Rest. If anyone's looking for a place to, to give and hasn't checked them out yet, reachtherest.org, not O-R-G. And basically they they do what they say. And basically uh, it's, it's similar to Doulos in that it supports local like church planters, so national believers. You know, an IMB missionary is about $120,000 a year to support a family, something like that. And I think that was shared by one of your previous guests. But so typical, you know, if a North American missionary went overseas, it'd be $150,000 somewhere in there. These guys, it's a couple thousand a year, two, three, maybe 5,000 a year, depending on where they are. And then you can equip them with Bibles and tools and training and then pay like multipliers, so then they actually have church planters under them that they're discipling, Timothy's, and you know, uh, so it's it's just cool to see that progression, and then mapping and making sure, like, okay, these they said they planted five thousand churches. Well, where's the proof of that? How many of those are baptizing people? How many of those are sharing the gospel with people? How many of those are are meeting together and giving and appointing elders and stuff like that? So, just making sure, seeing that they have that accountability of these churches, and then. How many of those churches stopped meeting, you know, because uh, often it's just a house church. It's not like they're building buildings, which uh, would would not be the most wise thing for resources, at least. And that's not a New Testament picture. So most of these are, are house church fellowships and they meet in secret or have to change locations. So anyway, it's uh, it's really cool just to 
kind of see that firsthand. And, and I'm stuck here in Birmingham, you know, for, you know, with COVID and everything, obviously uh, couldn't, couldn't travel. Hope to get back to the field soon, as soon as I can. But again, with three little kids, as Keelan knows, four little kids, it's it's hard. Like on my wife, if I leave for a week, oh my gosh, she's, if I leave for like a night, even to do like a speaking engagement, she's like, oh, I'm so glad you're home. Like after like one or two nights, you know, so seven nights, that's really tough on, on our wives, especially. So uh, when they're older, sure, we could go three times a year, but I look forward to doing that. But at this point, it's it's really hard. So different seasons call for different things. So, yeah, as you were sharing some of the numbers, there you know thousands of people being baptized in a single day, and just how little it actually costs to support a native missionary in a lot of these countries. I think the numbers are so extreme that when people are hearing that kind of stuff for the first time, a lot of times people don't believe it. It's like what? That's not possible. Yeah. I have a picture. <laughs> I have a picture of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or else I wouldn't believe it, you know? Yeah, exactly. But as you continue to kind of pursue that sphere and that space of people that are working in that area, it's confirmed over and over. Everybody is having that same kind of experience, just extreme movement of the gospel and and how Christ is working through the people who are native to these areas. And so uh, we've heard that over and over on this podcast. And and it's really encouraging to see. I'm curious, you know, this theme has been through your whole life and has been ramping up through every stage of how God is using you specifically in reaching unreached people groups. But I'm curious for what you see happening in your life or what God might do through you and your business over the next five or 10 years or, or longer going forward. Yeah, I could have never predicted what happened already. Like if, if my English teacher from like middle school or high school knew I wrote a book, she would probably die. Like, <laughs> um, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, you know, the science all that stuff. That's why I ended up doing dentistry. But yeah, like I was terrible at writing and like, I still like, I'm, I can get the ideas out there. We had lots of help editing, obviously. You hire an editor uh, or several editors. And so anyway, just like I would have never guessed I wrote a book. Uh, it started out as like a blog post. And then I was like, okay, this is going to be a long blog post. Maybe it's a couple of blog posts. And then like, okay, this is getting like maybe chapter one here. And my wife's like, uh-oh, like it's, <laughs> it's turning into a big project. And anyway, she was fully supportive. But it was just like she could see more like all the stuff that it would take to write a book. And me being naive, I've never written a book before. Like, oh, I can, you just put the words down. And then anyway, with Amazon self-publishing, it is fairly easy now. But yeah, we've sold uh, tons of copies of it. Nothing compared to like Crazy Love or Radical. Like when I hear they sell like a million or two million copies, something, it's like unbelievable how difficult that is. The average book on Amazon sells less than a thousand copies. So we've sold well, well, well over that. But anyway, it's just like... It's cool to see how God uses those authors and stuff. But yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. I guess the Lord knows, though, you know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So but one, one Bible verse that also comes to mind is Matthew 6, I think uh, 19. Sorry, 6, 621. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Like that's so true. And the more giving I do, the more I realize like that's so true. And the more like if I invest in the stock market. Like put money into a single stock. Most of the time we just do like a, a mutual fund, like a um, index fund or something. But put into like a single stock, and I, I put too much into this one stock that I shouldn't have, I guess. But and it's 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 underwater a little bit, but it's it's going to go up. Don't worry. Uh, but anyway, basically, I, th- I think it's going to be a good plan. But now I worry about it all the time. I'm checking it like, oh, I want to know like updates on the news and stuff of what's happening with that that COVID drug. And so basically. It's so true. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Versus I give it to do loss, or I give it to never thirst, or I give it to mountain child, or to radical, or reach the rest. Now I'm invested in their mission. I want to know more about their mission. Like, hey, Brandon, send me an update like from our well in Cambodia. Or, hey, like, how's that health center going in middle of nowhere, like Nepal? You know, the Lord really does like open your heart. So if you don't, quote, have a heart for giving, just give and you will get a heart for giving. Because if your money's going there, you're going to care about how they're spending the money, about what's happening. Yeah, it's it's cool how how that works. So, anyway. So, Richard, you mentioned you've listened to the podcast, so you know what's coming next. We're we're just about out of time, but I wanted to give you a chance to share during our manager minute here and for our listeners, we like to take a little bit of time and share some ideas or strategies about how you can be a better steward of the money that God gives you above and beyond what you need. So, Richard, do you have any suggestions for our listeners on something that they can be doing with this excess money? 
Yeah, of course. So kind of like we've been talking about the whole time, obviously giving to the unreached, I mean, prioritize your local church, of course, but above that commitment to your local church, really 99% of giving is going towards places where the gospel already is. And like 1% of, of missions giving, and this giving to missions too, this isn't all Christian giving. I think it turns out to be like point zero something percent, but like of, of all Christian giving, but of missions giving, less than 1% goes to the unreached. And so find those organizations that are working with the unreached, unengaged people groups. Uh, we've mentioned several of them on, on the podcast already, but that's where we try to prioritize our giving as much as we can, because we know it's going to make a huge impact in those areas that Lord willing, that he will plant those seeds, that the Lord will water those seeds and God gives the growth. And Cody's talking about like compound impact, I guess. Like there's, yes, there's compound interest, but compound impact, the eighth wonder of the world. You know, I always think like, oh, I could invest this money in the stock market and then I can give it away later. You know, then I can give away this much more money. But as we all seen, especially with this last year, stock market is totally unpredictable, not worth putting your hope in. And so I'm preaching to myself here as much as anyone. And so giving it to these organizations, like it's like, okay, I, it's almost like it's safe now. Like, well, I mean, it's, but Jesus says like in Matthew 6, like, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Store up yourselves instead. Like he's not anti-joy, he's for joy. Instead, store up yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Thieves cannot break in and steal for where your treasure is, so your heart will be also. So just, yeah, I think that's that's the wisest word is put it where it's safe. Send it ahead. I think Randy Alcor might say that like, yeah, you can't store it up here. Just send it on ahead. So anyway, and by doing that, I think unreached people groups, as far as I can tell, that's the best bang for your buck, the best eternal return on investment that I know of. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Richard, thanks so much for taking the time to join us and, and for sharing your story. Uh, it's it's really been incredible just hearing how God has worked all the way through every stage of your life and, and to see the impact that you're able to have now. I'm really excited to see what he might do in the years ahead of us. Who knows <laughs> uh, for any of us uh, what's going to happen uh, tomorrow. But yeah, Lord willing, pray that we'll still be making an impact 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now for his glory. It's all for Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at Finish Line Pledge, through our website at finishlinepledge.com, or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have, and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. And as always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 23. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.